we're continuing our uh, series, There Will Be Giants, this week. Um, it's more or less the life of David, although we've looked at other characters uh, in 1 Samuel. Um, because, you know, we, we assume that the, the one giant David faces is Goliath, but in fact, uh, there's giants all throughout his, his life. And the same is true for us. Uh, we, you know, sometimes we have these incredible moments where there's this big obvious thing, that, that a battle that we fight, but that's not all there is. Um, and this week we're going to be looking at uh, one, of the, one of the most difficult t- uh, times of life and how biblically we're, we're called to respond to it. And um, to kind of set the stage, uh, I, for those of you who know, um, my, uh, my, my dad fell uh, in, in what, March or April and then uh, passed away in June um, without ever regaining consciousness. And uh, <laughs> so my birthday is April 20th, and he had fallen, I think, on the 11th. So it had, it had been over a week. And on my birthday, our dog died. Um, and the next day, we were supposed to go, or I was supposed to join um, the Cheshires and some others on a, uh, on a, on a trip, uh, to kind of like family trip. And uh, I already have like <laughs> an anxiety disorder, so I wasn't doing well anyway. <laughs> but then um, when all this life crashed down on me, um, I, I, I just, I, I couldn't do anything. Like it was like, I can't move. And so I, I texted um, Brent Nork and I said, look, guys, um, you know, Aaron and the girls, they're going to go with you. I think Janer went too. Um, but I, I can't, I just can't do anything. I, I need to just be alone. And so for the next two days, I basically just slept. Um, I slept and I cried. Um, and, and, and that was like my response to being in a place where I felt like I was completely overwhelmed. Just absolutely unable to deal with the world anymore. I felt like everything had been ripped away from me. And that's what we're going to see in David's life today. Let's take a look at the text. If uh, you have your Bible on your phone, you can pull it up. We've got Pew Bibles. Uh, this is the NRSV. Um, just, it's a, it's a really accurate to the, the Hebrew translation, but also readable. So, um, But you can follow along anywhere. David left there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt... And everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became their leader. Those who were with him numbered about 400. Not a huge text, it's very small, but it's actually very profound. And I kind of want to help set the stage. So uh, let's take a closer look here. David left there and uh, went to the, and escaped. He left there and escaped. David uh, has just, if you were here with us last week, you saw the first time uh, his uh, soon-to-be father-in-law tried to kill him. Saul uh, threw spears at him a total of twice, trying to murder him in his house. Um, and, but Saul didn't just leave it there. So David actually ended up leaving the house and going to other places. But Saul wasn't done with him. Uh, Saul was uh, very angry and jealous of David. And so he systematically removes all of David's help, his family. even So David actually marries his daughter, and Saul finds a way to keep her away from David. Uh, all of his friends and family are scattered. His supporters are pushed to the edges and it gets so bad that David's best friend, Jonathan, who happens to be Saul's son, uh, Jonathan, too, has to leave him because uh, Jonathan has to stay with his dad. And Jonathan doesn't believe. He's like, David, there's no way my dad's going to kill you. 
And David's like, just, you just wait. And so there's a, a bit where, where, where Jonathan realizes, he's with his dad, and he realizes that Saul is hell-bent on murdering David. And so David leaves, that's where he's left there, he left this, uh, the, all, all the situation, right, where he's got to the place in his life where he's literally completely alone. And not only is he alone, the only people who are looking for him, in his mind, are the ones who want to kill him. So where does he go? He goes to the cave of Adullam. Caves are, there's actually a motif throughout the, across scripture, where whenever someone's down and out, when they're at the bottom, when they've completely lost everything, when they've been, to, when they've been totally abandoned, and, and they're, and they're at the, at the, the very edge, and they're, and they're just falling apart, what, uh, people in the Old Testament especially do is they go to caves. Uh, you might remember there's the story of Elijah in, uh, in First Kings, where uh, Elijah's been doing, he's a prophet, he's been doing all this stuff, and he finally comes to a point in his life where he just, uh, he's just exhausted. Everyone's abandoned him, he's, uh, he also is being, you know, sought to be killed by the, the powers that be, and he just, he, he's like, I, and so what he does, he, he escapes to a cave. Now, these caves are not like, it's not like a little cave where, like, you know, a bear lives, okay? Uh, you should be thinking more along the lines of the Carlsbad Caverns. I have a couple of pictures here of the Carlsbad Caverns. I think I, Mom, have I been to the Carlsbad Caverns? See, I have this really vague, I was, I was wee, so it was, you know, 35-some years ago. But I, I have a vague memory of going, I think it's in New Mexico. And these are just this vast network of, like, a hundred caves with, with stalactites. Okay, there's two. Stalactites, stalagmites. A lot of geologists here. Good. Actually, Mary, aren't you a geologist? I mean, kind of, right? Didn't you study that stuff? Like geology and all that back in the day? Yeah. So you know. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so this has got the pointy things. You can climb around. It's, it's actually pretty large inside. Um, and in the ancient world, uh, caves like this, these big massive caves, became uh, sort of associated with like safety. Uh, because they only have like one or two entrances and they're small, right? So if anyone comes after you, you can easily bat them away. And they're very, at the depths of the caves, it's very cold um, and dry, and so you, often. And so you can save supplies there and last for long periods of time. Moreover, in the ancient world, the people who lived in caves were generally thieves and robbers and brigands. And so most people stayed away from caves because they didn't want to get robbed. And so it makes sense if you're looking for a place to retreat, right? Everything's falling apart and you need to retreat. You go to your cave. Now, obviously we, uh, you know, this is a motif in Scripture. I don't think that Scripture is saying, hey, you know, if your life's falling apart. So, Tom, your life's falling apart. I need you to take a trip to New Mexico and go camp out in the Carlsbad. Bring some supplies, and just go there. For, I don't think that's what's going on. I think what the scripture is indicating is that there is a way that we as human beings naturally deal with disaster. And part of that is we need to be in a place we can be alone. Um, we need to be in a place where our enemies or whatever is chasing us can't reach us. Um, and so I don't think that you necessarily need a cave when everything falls apart. But you need a cave, if you know what I mean. Everyone reacts differently, right? So, you know, when, when disaster came upon me, my reaction was to just sleep in bed. But you can't just sleep in bed all day. You can't just keep doing that. 
Uh, my buddy Mike, uh, he was here during my dad's memorial service. Um, awesome dude. He, uh, when he came back from his, uh, his last tour in Iraq, he, uh, he, he immediately he didn't, didn't want to process any of the trauma that he had been through. And so he immediately jumped into life in a megachurch, and he worked 80 hours a week uh, just doing whatever it is people do in megachurches uh, in order to just not deal with what was going on. What he really needed, and what I really needed, was a retreat, a safe spot, a cave, where we can assess what's, what's happened in life and begin the process of rebuilding. So if you are in a place where you've, you know, you're, you're in that spot, that zone, or you think you might be in that, uh, coming to that zone, or you were in that zone but you haven't really dealt with it, if you're thinking about uh, your future and how to begin to move forward, you need to find your cave. And I would suggest that uh, one of the things that you should definitely think about when you're, when you're this is because your bug out plan, right? If everything goes sideways, where are you going to go where you can retreat? One of the things I suggest to you is you're probably going to need to be in a place where you can either turn off or ignore your cell phone. And I'm not just joking about that. I, I think that's absolutely critical because, you know, for David, he got to a place where no one could reach him. And we are living in a, in a culture, in a society where that's like anathema. Like, we always need to be connected. But when everything's falling apart, when your life is being ripped away from you, when you're being ground on down, and you have to, you need silence. You need to be in a place where... What do you do when you go to the cave? Well, we actually know what David did. It wasn't in our text, but it's actually uh, elsewhere in Scripture. If you're uh, familiar with Psalm 142, you can turn there in your, your, your Bibles. I have the common English version here. Uh, but when you turn to it in the Bible, it, it says it's a miscal. No one knows exactly what miscal means. At least I don't think so. But some people think it means like instruction or teaching. A miscal of David when he was in the cave. And this is, uh, I think, what the Masoretes uh, appended to this text to help us know where it comes from. Um, but, but it... Oh, find your cave. That's the... Go to find your cave. That's the first thing you're going to choose. Where's your cave? Where's your cave? And so if you have some thoughts on that, you can jot them down. But let's, let's take a look at uh, Psalm 142. This is David. So he gets to the cave before anyone else comes. He doesn't know they're coming. Uh, when he gets there, this is what he says. He says, I cry out loud for help from the Lord. I beg <clears throat> out loud for mercy from the Lord. I, I pour out my concerns before God. I announce my distress to him. So if you don't know, David was a poet. He was a songwriter. And so when he gets to his cave, he does what poets and songwriters do. He creates. And so he creates a, 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 a prayer, maybe a song, to God in Hebrew. And he's like, the first thing he says is, I'm just going to empty it all out. Right? The first thing he's going to do is he's going he's to vomit. He's going to take everything that's, that's happened to him, and he's, gonna, he's just going to spew it out. And so what does he say? He says, when my spirit is weak inside me, you still know my way, God. But they, Saul, his minions, his spies, they've hidden a trap for me in the path I'm taking. Look, right beside me, you see? Is there anyone here? Is anyone next to me in this cave? Or, oh, wait, no one pays attention to me. I'm all alone. There's no escape for me. No one cares about my life. Is that true? 
Objectively, is that true? Did, did, does no one care about David's life? No, of course not. A lot of people care about David. Jonathan, for one, absolutely cares about David. But when you're in the cave, when you're going through it, when you're being ground on down, you're in that crucible, have you ever noticed how you start to get inside your, your own head and you start to tell yourself things that maybe aren't actually accurate, but boy, that's how they feel? Nobody can possibly understand what I'm going through. Well, actually, there's probably some people who can, but you probably don't need to hear from them right now. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Let's go eat some worms. Well, there's probably some people who love you, and there's not everyone hates you. But isn't that exactly how it feels? And so what, what David does is he just vomits out to God. He's like, okay, here's what's happening. I've been abandoned by everyone. Nobody cares. And here's what I need, God. Going on in the text. I cry to you, Lord, for help. You, you're my refuge. You're all I have in the land of the living. Everyone else is gone. Pay close attention to my shouting. In the ancient world, they were much uh, more voluble than most of us are with our prayers. Uh, so if you've been, and if you've been to the two-thirds world or you've been, especially in some of the African-American Christian traditions, some of the charismatic, they're a little more like, rah! That's how the ancient people were. They didn't just go, Lord, I know you are good and I am miserable. No, it's like, God, listen to me! I want my dad back. I've been brought down so low. Be, deliver me from my oppressors. They're stronger than I am. I'm alone and Saul's got a huge army. He's got spies everywhere. Get me out of this prison so I can give thanks to your name. And then what's going to happen, David thinks? The righteous will gather around me because of your good deeds to me. Uh, righteous here, really, I mean, it's, it's probably he's thinking more like, like the good folks, the good people will once again surround me. The people I've lost... You know, the, 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 the nice, Torah-abiding, like, God-fearing folks, they've abandoned me, but they'll come back if you just do this thing for me, God. I just need you to do this one thing. On uh, Friday, for the first time since 1998, I saw Pearl Jam. It was awesome. Love that Pearl Jam. Uh, yeah, I got a picture here. Of uh, the thing, it, it was awesome. It's, it, it's, it's an annual thing now. Eddie Vedder, the lead singer of Pearl Jam, puts it on. Um, it's it's called the Ohana Festival, and it's at Doheny State Beach. So you're literally on the beach, and you're just listening to like a bunch of different awesome bands, and it's just a sweet time. Well, I got tickets for this because I was in the middle of my own sort of cave experience, and uh, I saw that they they came up, and so I just, without informing my wife, just blew like four hundred dollars to buy two tickets. Um, not really caring about the bands or anything, actually, just uh, because I was like, I just need something here. And so I just, you know, threw away a bunch of money, just lit it on fire. It was great. And then, so I called my buddy Dan, who lives in Ohio. Uh, he actually used to play guitar here many, many years ago. Uh, but he's one of my best friends from high school. And I said, hey, Dan, I just blew a bunch of money on uh, Pearl Jam, and my wife doesn't want to go see it with me. Um, so uh, do you think you could just, you know, come out? And, and what I, what, that was what I said. What I meant was, hey, Dan... 
I'm in a little bit of a living hell here, and I need somebody to back me up for a little bit. And he understood what I was, was communicating, not what I was saying. And so without consulting his wife, he said, yes, I'll absolutely come out for four days and abandon my four children to her. Um, and so he did. And so the real heroes of this story, of course, are Aaron and uh, Missy Neal, who took care because because uh, on Saturday morning we, we were playing uh, the game Hades that Josh our bass player in, informed me about uh, for like three hours on the PlayStation 5 while Aaron was preparing the kids to go to soccer and I don't know what Missy was doing in Ohio because wow that they I, I think there's four there might be 12 of their children who knows they're Catholic so anyway uh, um, so, <laughs> so, so we get there and we, we're watching the show, and it's amazing, it's wonderful. Um, and then finally, uh, they, the Pearl Jam plays the song Alive, which is uh, like kind of their, their, their anthem song near the end of the show. And if you don't know, Eddie, was, back when he was still trying, before he you know, just gave up and started sucking up our money, when he was still trying to be an amazing musician, he used to tell these incredible stories. And this song happens to be autobi- uh, semi-autobiographical. When Eddie was uh, in his teen- early teen years, he found out that uh, the person that he thought was his father wasn't. Uh, his mom and stepdad had been lying to him his entire life. And that uh, his real dad was somewhere in the Midwest dying of cancer. And so we only got to see him once before, before he died. And as a young, already uh, angsty teenager, this pretty much sent him over the edge. And so he came back to Southern California, and he went to his cave, which is uh, surfing in San Diego. And so he's out in the waves in San Diego, and he began coming up with these lyrics, and he tells this story, right? He tells his story. Now, Eddie's an atheist, so he doesn't believe in talking to God, but it's fascinating, if you look at the lyrics to the song, they're almost identical to what you get from, from David. The only difference is, is that uh, Eddie uh, doesn't have a, a God to speak to, and so his, his anthem, as it were, is like, oh, well, you know what? I've been ground on down. There's no hope for me, but I'm still alive. I've got that. I'm still breathing. And I can't say anything else about my life, but at least I can say that. At least I can still say I'm here. And so he does. He does the same thing, David. He vomits out all this horror that's befallen him. But, but David takes the next step. He, he gives God his story, just like Eddie. But instead of saying, well, I'm still here, he then takes the next step. He says, and God, I believe there's a future. This isn't the end of my story. Because you're there, I believe you're good. And so my story doesn't just have to stop with me, you know, just being here in this cave waiting to die. Instead, I think there's a plan, there's a possibility. And in David's mind, he's like, the possibility is you wipe out my oppressors, and then all the normal good people will love me again. You may be wondering why we're talking about this. It's a very simple thing. It's a, when, we do, when we do prayer, when was the last time you told God your story when you were praying? Some of us don't pray at all. Some of us don't know what to say. Well, the Bible seems to think, and if you go through the Psalms, you'll see it over and over and over again. David inaugurated this pattern. Uh, you'll see that what we're, one of the things we're called to do is we're called to say, God, here's where I am. This is what it feels like. This is where, this is, this is what it looks like to me. I, I, but, but God, I, I know this isn't the end of the story. I know you're out there. Can you, can you, can you show me or be with me for this next stage so I can see that there's a future? Now, uh, if you're not in the cave right now, or you don't need to go to the cave, things are okay, they're good, okay, that, that, you, now is your moment to begin practicing this type of prayer. This should not be all of your praying. Uh, you do need to adore, worship, confess, 
give thanks, you know, ask for things. Uh, there's different ways that people talk about uh, praying. But part of, of your prayer is to be honest with God, to say, this is the story so far. Because if you do that, and you're regular at that, then when you are in the cave, when you are being ground on down, it's going to be natural, it's going to be normal for you to say, God, here's the story. And you won't worry about, you know, is it, is every, did I get every detail right? Um, instead, you're just going to be ready to pour out your heart and say, God, this is the story so far. I want to see the next part of the story. And I, I have some, some suggestions for you on how to, how to work that out. So what's your story? What's your story for God? If, take, take a moment and think about right now, if you were to sum up the story between you and God so far, or your family and God so far, or your church and God so far, or your work life and God so far, if you were to sum it all up, if you were to put it there, you would say, what, what would you say to God? And, it, and once you think that, pray that. And then add the next part and say, God, this is the next thing. I need you to kill, kill all my oppressors and then all the good folks will love me again. Which, not only was David a little bit wrong about what was true, namely he wasn't actually alone and, no, and there were people who cared about him, but he also couldn't see into the future in this case. And so he, uh, he told God what to do, but God just kind of ignored him and did something different. Let's see what uh, God did. When his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. <laughs> Remember, at this point in uh, David's story, he's been, for a long time, he's lived in, the, in luxury in the palace, right? He's been living with Saul. Even when he goes out to Saul, uh, when he leaves Saul, he goes to a place where, you know, he's wealthy and doing good. And so he's used to a certain level of comfort and used to a certain type of person. The type of person who's welcomed into, you know, Orange County, California, right? He, that's, that's his people. And he misses them. He's like, man, I miss those guys. God, if you just kill my, my oppressors, I could hang out with them again. Uh, you've actually uh, seen a movie based on this text. Um, it's literally the same story. It's the Goonies. Right? Have you not seen? Has everyone seen the Goonies? Um, yeah, a great film. Um, Lisa, you're from Astoria, right? So Lisa grew up in Astoria, Oregon. Uh, based on what I saw in the movie, it looks like a pretty gloomy, dreary place. So you moved up in the world. Good job. Um, but the Goonies, the story of Goonies is it's these kids, and uh, for whatever reason, they're they're misfits. And as in this text, they're literally in debt. The plot is that their parents' uh, houses, their old houses are going to be like wiped away to make you know, space for new condominiums or whatever. Uh, and because they're in debt, they can't stop uh, that from happening. And so what do the kids do? They're like, well, we're going to go to a cave. We're going to retreat to the cave, and we're going to find a treasure, and it's going to save our lives. Interestingly, uh, do I have the picture of the Goonies there? Yeah, that one. That's awesome. Uh, interestingly, so Sean Astin, who plays Rudy in every movie he's in, um, Sean Astin is a young man at this point. He hasn't been Rudy yet, but he's Rudy. 
And he rudies his way through this movie, and he's one of the younger kids. And even like uh, these these losers who get like kicked out of, they're not popular, they're not cool. Like the one, his older brother doesn't have a uh, a car, and he has to ride a bike. And all the rich kids and the football stars are making fun of him. They all go down into the cave to get the the treasure, and uh, and 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 the weirdest thing happens. Um, regardless of, of whether it's the nerd data or you know it's it's chunk. Or, uh, or the, what's the fat mouth, the, the talking kid? They, uh, they all, they all recognize at a certain point that, that Mikey, Mikey is the guy. Even though he's not the oldest, even though he's not, you know, the coolest, uh, they all start to recognize there's something about him um, that that he is going to be their guy. And so the the misfits, the, they call themselves the Goonies. The goonies, the losers, the, the outcasts, the vagrants, the in debt, the discontented, all the ones who, who think that a story needs to be a different place than what it is, they all, they, they gather into this little cave, and there they recognize that Rudy is the leader, that we're gonna follow him, and if we do, if we stick with him, no matter what, then there's a chance that we can get out of this thing. And of course, in like every adventure movie, and just like in David's own experience, the, the, these, these outcasts, these ragtag groups, these goonies, once they come together, they start to realize, like, wow, we're all in the same situation. We've all been rejected. And if we stay committed to each other through thick and thin, we're, we're already seeing each other at the lowest place. Right now, we're at the lowest place. There's, there's nothing left to hide. We've all been fully exposed as these, Weak, inadequate people. And these aren't the people that, that David wanted, but they are the people that he needed. Because they were the people who looked at him in his lowliest state when everything had been ripped away. And they were the ones who said, I'm with you. If you follow the texts, uh, David's goonies, you know, it's like the, it says there's almost 400 of them. David's goonies, these people who are with him, the, the, the vagrants and the misfits and, and, and the, the indebted, they, they come to David in his, in his weakest spot, and then they become the core of his revolution in Israel. Aaron and I have been uh, watching that show, The Chosen. If you've seen it, uh, it's, I mean, it's obviously they take a lot of uh, artistic license, which in some ways is good, in some ways is bad. Um, but it's, it's an interesting show. And we just, we watched um, an episode where um, all of Jesus' uh, you know, disciples and followers are around a campfire, and they're talking to each other. They're out in the wilderness, which actually is Jesus' form of a cave. That's, some people go to the wilderness, that's what Jesus does. And, uh, and they're, they're sitting around the fire and they're talking to each other. And what happens during the conversation is they're all, they all expose themselves. You know, she's a prostitute. You know, he's a thief. This guy's a brawler. This guy lost his dad young and he doesn't know how to deal with it. He's looking for a father figure. And they, 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 they all, they're all fully exposed. And in, in the middle of that, there's tension, there's, there's, there's a mess with that. But there's also this, this, this coming together because they're all behind Jesus and they recognize if we all stick with him, then somehow this is going to work out. And 
And so the question is, have you found your goonies? Right? Have you found your misfits? Goonies come in all shapes and sizes, all colors, all levels of intellect, all socioeconomic statuses. What makes a goonie a goonie is it's the person who's going to stick with you no matter what because they've seen you at, their, at your worst and they're looking for you at your best. And the craziest thing is we, when we get ground down, we go through the crucible and we're in the cave, you know, we're sitting there thinking, oh, I just want to get back to, you know, the life as it was. God usually doesn't do it that way. God usually instead flips the, the script and says, I know you want me just to kill your enemies so that, that you can go back to the way things were. But actually, I've allowed this to happen. I've put you in this place um, so, so that you can get... And then you're going to be ready to give yourself to some goonies. And they're going to change what you think is right and good. And they're going to transform you so that you start to go in the direction I want you to. Sometimes your goonie is a, a relative. Sometimes it's a childhood friend. If you don't have a lot of goonies, maybe there's a goonie here somewhere close to you. You just haven't found yet. And if you are in the cave right now, or you need to go to the cave, maybe this is your cave. Look around for your goonie. To assist it with that, we, we've got some things that you can do to, you know, like I said earlier during the announcements, you can uh, sign up for salt and pepper dinners. It's where we put people who don't know each other together for like uh, meals together. Usually it's like, you're, the, like you're, there's a couple that you're comfortable with and then a couple of couples that you don't know. Your kids are welcome. They trash the place. It's awesome. But you're not hosting, so you don't care. Um, what? Kristen, they love this. It's adults only? Your kids are not invited. Uh, we'll update for you. It, it's their time. Okay, well, are we providing childcare at least? What? I, I overrule you. Just because you're in charge, I know there will be childcare. If anyone wants childcare, we will find a way to provide it. Yeah, you can go to my house. Dude, our, not only is it, our house is baby-proof, too, so it's like, it doesn't matter what you got. We're, we're set. We're ready. So you could do that. You could uh, join, um, you know, Bill's Bible study, uh, our newcomers group, uh, Aaron's Bible study, um, the prayer partners that, uh, especially if you're focused and, and concerned about uh, the youth, uh, we got that with Rachel. We got a lot of things you could do. And we even have a new app um, where you can sign up for stuff. It's called, like, Church Center. So, like, right now, if you wanted to, you could, I'm not saying you have to, but you could take, I'd take out my phone, but I left it in there in case someone called me. Um, you could take out your phone. You could search for Church Center on your iStore tunes or your uh, Android Play, and you can download it, and you can find our church, and you can click on it, and then you can go to more, and you can say sign-ups, and you can sign up. Maybe you just sign up to, you know, host the car with a trunk or treat, and you put in a bunch of the, can the candy that the kids don't really like, 
just some, to mess with them during, uh, during Harvoween. It's okay. Lindsay buys like 700,000 pounds of co- the good stuff from Costco, so we'll just dump it on top of your, like, Smarties. <laughs> so the, ki- the kids will come by like, wow, Twix, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, if you do dum-dums, you're cut. <laughs> we will, we will we'll key your car. <laughs> just kidding. We're not keying anyone's car. Doug, why would you say that? Come on. No king of cars. If I'm being honest, uh, I've, I've, I've felt pretty ground down this year. I joke with people. It's like, <laughs> in 2020, I was like, man, I can't wait for 2021. I'm like, oh, that was stupid. <laughs> um... And I'm looking uh, for my caves. And uh, actually, one of our caves uh, was a, a trip to Disneyland with the kids. Was I mean, we couldn't afford it, but man, it was worth it. Um, and I'm looking for more Goonies. I've been super blessed to have a lot of Goonies in my life, but man, you can always use another, right? And I'm trying to, at this point, craft my story before God and say, God, this is what it looks like so far. That's a, it's a painful thing, um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a tough thing to do right now. Um, but I know that if I have the courage to do it and insert that into my prayer life, I, I have a feeling that, that God's going to start to illuminate um, the future. So find your cave. Tell your story. Find your, your goodies. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, you do lead us sometimes down paths that, that hurt, that grind us down. We, your people, sometimes need a retreat. We need to find a cave. First to be alone, then to cry out to you and and tell our story to you, and then, God, you somehow find a way to to fill our lives with the goonies we need. Who stick with us through thick and thin. Who don't quit on us. Who don't see us as we are, but as we could be if we keep following you. Lord God, I pray for anyone here who is in the crucible that you will reveal a cave to them. That you will well up within them a story they can tell you and that you will surround them with the misfits that will carry them. For any of us who are not in that place but, uh, but could be soon or, or have been and, and just haven't dealt with it, God, I just pray that your spirit will stir up in our hearts a vision for caves, a vision uh, for story, and a vision for, for new um, community. And God, in the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that, Spirit, you will make that happen here. For us, for all of us. And in that, we'll be ready to to emerge from the cave and take on life that you have for us. All this we confess to be possible, Jesus, because you have saved us, because you've wiped us clean, because you've given us uh, your, your spirit. And so in your name we pray, amen.